Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint. Shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. I'm Denise Nakano, and this week on Flashpoint, navigating the challenges of going back to school during a pandemic from the perspective of a student and educators. It was like a strange mix of joy and elation and exhaustion and trauma. You'll hear from a doctor helping with the humanitarian effort to receive Afghan refugees into Philadelphia International Airport. The individuals who have supported us feel completely welcomed. We'll introduce you to a pair of changemakers, two Philadelphia police officers making a difference in West Philadelphia. They got to see as an individual instead of a police officer. You just see a human being playing football and basketball. Stay tuned. It's all ahead on Flashpoint. So welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Denise Nakano. School can be enough of a challenge, but add in a pandemic and it brings on a new level of stress, anxiety and concern. We bring in Kara Butler, a 12th grader at Lincoln All High School in Roxborough, who is the chief editor of the school newspaper, The Bullhorn. Kara, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So a return to school this year means this is the first time being back in school full time since the start of the pandemic more than a year and a half ago. How has being back to school been for you? I'm just really happy to see my friends. I'm just glad to be back with them. I'm glad to see the teachers. I'm glad to see all the new faces. And yeah, it's, it's been fun. Now, do you have any concerns as you head back to class every day during a pandemic? Yeah, obviously there's the concern about, you know, getting sick. I didn't like being sick as it is. So when you, you know, couple that with the fact that it's literally a deadly disease, it's a little nerve wracking. And then there's also just the normal struggles of like, if it's like a snow day, it's snowing really hard. And then people are going to be later than usual because there's a bunch of traffic. Right. Is everybody, though, on the same page with mask wearing and, you know, kind of being taking the precautions, staying, you know, your three to six feet distance? Yeah, um, I think it's easier to do um, at Lankanon because it's a smaller school. I can't imagine how it would be at like Central where there's thousands of kids. That seems so insane to me. But everyone's been pretty diligent with their masks and the distancing. Like we've spread out in the cafeteria. There's, they're letting people eat outside. They've got tents now that they're going to be setting up. I think that's really good. Now you're graduating this year. What is your biggest hope for your senior year? Oh, my biggest hope is that we get to do um, like prom and like maybe if it's feasible, like an end of year trip. But in all honesty, I'd just be happy with prom and like graduation as well. It's a rite of passage, I think. And 
I just really hope for both myself and my classmates that we get to have that with each other. There's a certain level, of course, of uncertainty as you go back after 18 months. And some people have a heightened level of anxiety. Do you think that you've experienced any of that? I was really nervous going into it. I was. um, I was like, oh, I don't know how people are going to be. Are people going to be wearing like gaiters or masks? Because that's the thing. Um, You're not supposed to be wearing gaiters. You're just supposed to be wearing masks. Those kinds of things, those smaller things, those nuances that are like the things that are making me most anxious because how are we going to get around that? And then how are we going to get around like, you know, people see their friends. Obviously, you want to go hug your friend. Those are probably my biggest sources of anxiety. And how do you deal with all of that? I think, honestly, it's just, it's easier to deal with knowing that other people have the same concerns and that other people are also being as careful as you are, if not more careful. Being able to see that, it's helped a lot. So as chief editor of the newspaper, you will be documenting school life during a pandemic, being back in the classroom. Have you thought about the fact that you are helping to document history here? Oh, and well, when you put it that way, it's, it's pretty insane. The main point of the bullhorn is to give the students a voice. These articles, I just, when you say that, I realize they're going to be out there forever, really. And so I think it is really, really awesome to be a part of that and to be a part of like, hey, we documented a real piece of history. Now, if you were to come up with a headline for school life during a pandemic, what would it be and why? Hmm. Oh, you know what? I love alliteration. So I think I'd maybe call it like the COVID chronicles. Are you hopeful and optimistic that you're all going to come out better after this and maybe even stronger? after going through something like this that nobody even before you has gone through? I am hopeful about that. I think that um, what I've tried to keep in mind through all this is that even though things seem difficult now or you might be struggling now, there's always something at the end of the tunnel. Um, And I think just to say like, hey, you know, stick around. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how this is going to benefit you. You don't know how, you don't know what skills you're going to learn either. And you don't know what opportunities are going to open up because of the things that you've been through. That is something that I try to keep in mind. Kind of all swamped with all this work. I, I'm in the middle of a pandemic. It's really stressful, but it's paying off. I mean, look at me now. I'm getting interviewed by Denise Nakano. Wow. Well, hopefully you'll have, you know, you're, you're going to have much higher a- ambitions than that. I mean, you know, but I, I thank you. Um, I think that, um, you know, you're in a wonderful place and, and you seem to be handling yourself very well in, in all of this. I mean, you know, it can go be a range of emotions between being nervous and, and overwhelmed to making the best out of it. But you choose to make the best out of it. Yeah. I mean, there's things that I would have, I've had regrets and stuff like that, but hey, I've learned something from it and I can take that moving forward. And there's probably a lot harder things to deal with as well. I try to keep that in mind. A pandemic, obviously, but there's people like actively like getting sick, the people who have had family members get sick. And it's like, I've been fortunate enough to not have that happen. And Kara, what is the biggest lesson you think you've learned so far going through the past year and a half of a pandemic and being in the place that you are now? 
back in school, trying to make it as normal as you can for yourself and others. That it's okay not to be okay. Like, I don't, it's okay to have like anxiety. It's okay to be upset about things. And I think the second you're able to identify that and the second you're able to realize that like, hey, this is why I'm feeling this way. This is how I'm feeling. Um, that's the first step in learning to, or figuring out how to not feel that way is to be able to acknowledge that you do. And ultimately to be okay with not being okay. Yes. Exactly. Right. <laughs> okay. Kara Butler, thank you so much. Uh, it was great talking to you and we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us on Flashpoint. With us now on Flashpoint to talk more about navigating back to school during a pandemic is Devin Powers, a professor at Temple University, and Carrie Kreese, the head of school at Gladwin Montessori. Thank you both for being on Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. Devin, what has it been like for you to return to teaching on Temple's campus? Uh, What are your concerns and frustrations? I think it's been a real mixed bag since coming back to campus. On the one hand, it's really great to see my students in person again after so long of being away from them. On the other hand, there's just a lot of mixed messaging, a lot of confusion, um, and a lot of people, (laughs) and just a lot of people in different spaces that are not masked or half masked. And it's just a very hard thing to kind of regulate in every space at every moment. Right. And what do you think could be done better to support health on campus, you know, during a pandemic? You know, I think that one of the things that's difficult is that on a college campus, you know, you're going to have cases. Um, There are lots of unregulated spaces like crowded hallways, dormitories, dining halls that, you know, the eyes of the administration or the faculty are not going to be able to see. Um, That's why I think that Temple ideally would have a much more robust testing program in place. Currently, they are only testing um, people who are unvaccinated, whereas we know that people who are vaccinated can get breakthrough cases, and we know that that the possibility of uh, cases escalating is not going to be captured just by by testing that population. There's also not mandatory testing for the entire temple population. So I think that's one thing that really could help uh, if what they want is to really stay on campus. Gotcha. And Carrie, your staff is back at Gladwin Montessori ahead of the students return in just a few days. What's been on your mind as you and your staff get ready for students to, to come back to school? Oh, gosh, I think for us, we are navigating a lot of emotions. I think we we ended last year feeling a level of um Gosh, it was like a strange mix of joy and elation and exhaustion and trauma and a feeling like there was light coming really quickly because vaccinations had been well underway and most of my colleagues were excitedly signing up to roll up their sleeves for those shots. And by the time it was summer, we were unmasked. Those of us who were vaccinated were unmasked inside um, and running camp. And, you know, of course, when we were with children, we were masked, but we felt like we would get to open a school year in a more normal way. And then came Delta. And so all of a sudden we are pivoting just like every other school, you know, early childhood to 12th grade school, we're pivoting when we didn't expect to. So I think what we're managing is the emotions of the pivot the mask mandate, the how to keep children safe, especially now during this Delta variant that seems to be 
um, being caught by children more than we worried about last year. So I think it's the, for us, it's the practicality and the emotionality of bringing everybody back. And Devin, you share some of the same mixed feelings that Carrie had just spoken about. Do you think your students feel the same way as you've been in the classroom with them? Um, again, I think there's a huge range in terms of how students feel. Um, I think that there are some students who are totally ready to be unmasked everywhere, regardless of their vaccination status. There are still a lot of college students who think that they can't get sick. Um, there, are think, there are college students who think that it doesn't matter that they're vaccinated. Um, and that is definitely a population of students on campus. But there's also the complete opposite spectrum. Um, there, are, I had lots of students last year who were afraid to come back to campus, who wanted to stay online, who were very nervous about their classmates. Um, and some of those students made decisions not to come back to school this fall um, for financial reasons or, or just out of anxiety. So I think that there's just a huge range. And, you know, as Carrie was saying, managing the emotions of the students, of the faculty, of the staff, um, it's just been a huge you know, barrier to kind of getting back to any form of normalcy. And that's, you know, apart from the pandemic sort of seeming like it's maybe in another potential tipping point to a bad place. I mean, we know it's in a bad place in lots of other parts in the country, and we know that the numbers in Pennsylvania are going up. In Philly, they seem to be leveling, but it's just hard to know, you know, and to plan. How do you both handle that anxiety that surrounds all of the uncertainties and all of the mixed feelings? Like, where do you go to to find some relief for yourself? For me, I have a really cool outlet in making and building and doing things with my hands, which helps me process the stuff that I may be feeling around anxiety or stress. I mean, let's just keep it real. We're, we're in the back to school season. That is a stressful time under the best of circumstances for teachers, for leaders, for parents, uh, for some kids. So the pace of this time of year having nothing to do with the pandemic is a lot. Layering on the uncertainty, the developing and, and, and executing on vaccination policies, testing protocols, six feet apart, three feet apart, that the, the, the layer of um, COVID best practices on top of back to school normal stuff is what makes me as a school leader know that I exercise every single day. I don't, I do not miss a day to move my body so I can release something. And I also try to laugh and eat well and um, enjoy the company of the people I really care most about. How about you, Devin? Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. Uh, one of the things I've been doing since January is taking a long walk every day in the middle of the afternoon, which is something I would have never done before the pandemic. I would have been glued to my computer, working, working, working. And now I feel like that's what I need for my, um, you know, just well-being and to be outside and that all of those things are really important. I think also, uh, you know, I know a lot of other college professors and who people who are in a very similar position as myself. And so I think that um, communing with those people, talking to them, sharing best practices, but also just, you know, venting to one another has been really, really important. And it's one of those things that I feel like I wish my employer recognized how important that was how important it was for faculty to feel supported uh, just by able, being able to say what we are actually feeling and thinking as opposed to 
having to shove that down and put on a happy face because shouldn't we all be so happy to be back together? It's like, actually, we feel kind of mixed about it. And that should be okay to say. Yeah, taking okay. care of yourself, validating your own feelings. I mean, all those things are so important during this time. Absolutely. Carrie, you know, as a parent uh, to four kids, I do worry about classrooms shutting down again because of the highly contagious Delta variant and then children under 12 who are not eligible to get vaccinated. So I'm sure there's a host of concerns on the minds of parents. And what have you heard from them and how do you ease those concerns? One of my first ways to ease the minds of parents is to just remind them that this time last year, none of us were vaccinated. We did not have that shield, that that layer of protection. And this year, I, we can safely say that um, the percentage of vaccinated employees who have student contact is in the mid to high 90 percentage. That, I think, is something we didn't get to say. Now we get to say that is different this year than last year. We opened last year full time, five days a week in person it, by the time it was early October. And we didn't shut down once for a case of COVID, not in a classroom, not as a school, except for that little period in November when we were mandated to close. But I think using information like that, that we were very successful last year when we didn't have the vaccination to protect us. We've learned a lot about how to run school during a pandemic. And um, you know, to Devin's point earlier, to do with community and finding like minded or like experienced people who have to go through the same stuff to bounce ideas off of and vent and really generate the innovative thinking of how do we do it even better is to say, well, we have a community of small schools heads. We meet every single week. We've met every week since March to talk through what is um, stumping us. So we can say to parents, we have we know how to do this well. We've proven that last year. Now the bulk of us are vaccinated and we know how to teach outside. We know how to teach inside. The goal is to have 100% in-person learning all year. So we're exploring a testing protocol at school, a federally funded testing protocol. We will be seeking parent consent for that. So layering these things on and assuring folks we, we've done it. We're good at it. We may not really enjoy teaching during a pandemic. I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who would raise their hand to do this year after year, but we know how to do it. And, and having that confidence and meaning it is, um, I think, really reassuring for parents. And Devin, have you been approached by either parents or students and offered certain reassurances or tried to help them through it just as you're going through it yourself? The students that I have this semester, I've not yet had anybody come up to me and say, oh, you know, I'm really worried about X or Y. Instead, what I've tried to do in my classes is really just model the behavior that I want to see and set up the classroom expectations very early on. So establishing, you know, what my mask rules are, what I'm expecting from them to do, um, asking people, you know, to put their masks on properly if they're not on properly, um, you know, just trying to anticipate what people might be feeling and say, you know, I know some of you might be nervous, so this is how I'm going to run my class and this is what's going to happen if this happens or this happens. I've been trying to do that as much as possible. Well, as educators, what lessons do you think have been learned from the pandemic and then which ones do you think still need to be learned as we deal with COVID? Gosh, I would think about the mental well-being of our children, their parents, our teachers, ourselves as leaders. I think we learned a lot last year, which is 
we have to pay attention to our state of mind. Um, I think that was a lesson that we started to adopt last year, be flexible, remain flexible. We have to stay there too. But I think there's a lot of room for improvement in both of those areas where I have to be allowed to say, I am uncomfortable right now. My teachers need to be allowed to feel that, my parents, my students. And there has to be space that we provide that allows for the feelings to be real while also reassuring and, and giving folks the confidence to know that we, we have made it through a lot together already. We will continue to make it through a lot together as we move on. And then I think that second lesson is flexibility, adaptability. We all learned how to pivot on a dime with no notice um, in March, 2020. And so that I think is where we have room for growth is there's legal things that we need to know. Um, there's flexibility we have to keep adjusting for. I would agree with a lot of what Carrie said. I would add to that. I think we learned the power of community and the importance of it and not to take for granted togetherness, not to take for granted the opportunity to learn together in person and to just be together. Um, and, uh, you know, that was one of the things that at the beginning of the semester, I really felt, and I felt it from my students too, they were so happy to be together. Um, but I think that there's um, more to learn on that front as well. The fact that we are all connected means that we have to care for the people who are most vulnerable in our communities and we have to look out for them, even if it seems like it's not in our immediate comfort or our immediate self-interest to do so, it's just required. So that is a lesson I think we as a campus community, we as a city, as a country are continuing to learn and struggle against as we battle sort of sometimes people's very individualistic ways of thinking about themselves and their safety versus this kind of collective, um, you know, difficulty and this collective crisis that we're all in. Really great points made by both of you. Devin Powers, professor at Temple and Carrie Kreese, head of school at Gladwin Montessori. Thanks so much for being on Flashpoint. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Denise Nakano. We highlight the work of the Medical Response Unit, helping to welcome new arrivals from Afghanistan into Philadelphia International Airport. Shara Day Howard spoke with Dr. Maura Salmon, who is spearheading this important effort. Philadelphia is at the forefront of a multi-level cooperative humanitarian effort across local and federal agencies, welcoming women, children, and families into the United States from Afghanistan. Leading this charge at the Philadelphia International Airport is Dr. Maura Salmon, who says her mission is to resoundingly welcome these families to their new home. Welcome, Dr. Salmon. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. Now, doctor, can you describe to us what's going on at the airport? It is, without a doubt, the most proud I have been of anything I have ever done in my professional career. I want to give a huge shout out to the entire medical community in Philadelphia because everyone has banded together to make this mission a resounding success. We have people here from Temple, Penn, Jefferson, Einstein, all of the major institutions have contributed. So let's talk about that all hands on deck mission at the airport and what exactly is your role within that mission? 
So the mission is to deliver culturally sensitive, family-centered, compassionate care to our guests who are arriving from Afghanistan. How we are doing that is individuals come in from customs, they are tested for COVID, and then if they have any medical needs, we are providing an urgent care level of coverage here at the airport, and then coordinating with our Philly EMS department to deliver any patients who need hospital care at various partner institutions. So let's talk about how you got here. And how you became the head of this medical operation at the airport. The truth is that you were already doing the work in other countries. So your work then has prepared you for this very moment now. I am the chief medical officer of a nonprofit called Global Response Management, GRM. We are very involved in the medical care of refugees in other nations, particularly right now in Mexico. This is something that we do operationally on a regular basis. And I am very proud to say this organization also, when they knew I had a need locally, they immediately stepped up and sent volunteers right here. I need to give a huge shout out to Temple Medical Students. They have been showing up here every day, helping to coordinate our supplies, acting as pharmacy runners, doing whatever is needed to provide comfort for the individuals that are arriving here at the airport. Now, can you share with me how this is being done and how the family unit is being kept intact. Now, the way we are doing this, which is really important for these individuals, is that families are staying together. We are making every effort and we are moving mountains to make sure families are kept together and that they are provided with an environment that is culturally sensitive, compassionate. So if they are going to, for example, the University of Pennsylvania or Jefferson or CHOP, we're communicating directly with the hospitals to let them know that the entire family will be coming and they are making accommodations to welcome those families in their institutions. Now, within that family unit, you, of course, have children that have been traumatized, that have gone through one of the most difficult things in their lives. How are you helping the children specifically? It has warmed my heart to see all of these kids walking around holding stuffies and having toys to play with. And they're running around this airport being kids. They're playing with soccer balls. They're acting like children. And that's the way this is supposed to be. We have lots of representatives from CHOP Child Life that have come in and really made this effort huge. Dr. Sage Myers has been my partner from CHOP has been every step of the way, making sure that all of the children's emotional needs are being met. She and I joke around about this. We have fought the battle of Stuffy Hill and won. <laughs> so in addition to medical care, the kids are getting stuffed toys. They're getting a bit of their childhood back. They do 
toys. They need to feel loved. They need to feel welcome. And we are making absolutely sure that happens. So what happens as soon as they arrive? As soon as they get in, Cherokee Nation is providing physical needs. They're providing diapers, clothes, and blankets. And then as soon as they get to the testing stations, they're getting stuffies and toys. Now, going forward, what is the best case scenario regarding your goals and what you would like to see for the operation going forward? What would make me the happiest is that the individuals who have supported us so much in their home country feel completely welcomed into the United States, that this is their home, that they very quickly feel at home here. So a lot of the reason that you're here, other than your expertise, of course, is because you were already doing the work. And in particular, these children needed that. Yes. I can only imagine how scared they must be getting off of that air and arriving in a place where everything looks different. They can't understand anything anyone is saying to them. The joy I see when they're handed a toy, when an interpreter tells them, welcome home, seeing them relax, act like kids. That's what's happening here. And let's talk about your team. So I would like to give a shout out just to a few people that were really instrumental. You'll notice a lot of people on this list are women. This has been a really great girl power experience. And I would like to very much thank Trish Henwood, who is our Associate Medical Director for Operations, Sage Meyer, who is our Associate Director for Pediatrics, Alec McGinley, who is our Assistant Medical Director, Ari Schwell, Naomi Rosenberg, Jessica Genninger, Maria Aini, Dave Wald, and Effie Keen. And thank from the bottom of my heart, Acting City Health Commissioner Cheryl Bettigall. She is absolutely the right person for this mission. Can you share with us her role in all of this? Oh, she has organized everything. Not only has she organized this entire operation and navigated between all of the different agencies, she has set a tone for this entire operation that has percolated from the top down that everyone is being treated compassionately to keep the patient at the center and everyone is being treated not just with dignity, with love. And that tone here is reflected not just in the medical staff. We've got Air Force, Department of Homeland Security, State Department, the CDC, and Everyone is working together and remembering our mission is to welcome these individuals home. The goal here is to welcome these new families home. Thank you so much. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. 
Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Hey, what up? It's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. Before we get into it, I would like to take a brief moment to give a huge shout out and thank you to all of our local first responders who assisted in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. From the water rescues to answering emergency calls, you are also very much appreciated. Now, this week, I want to highlight two Philadelphia police officers who provided invaluable service and care to their community this summer. Officers Justin Harris and Shamsuddin Bachman of the 18th District spent almost every Friday for the past 18 weeks at Christie Rec Center in West Philly. That's where they helped dozens of kids ages 8 and up practice their basketball skills and drills. The Rec Center opened because we saw a need for it's a safe place or a place for children to go. The schools were out. There was nothing for children to do. 18 weeks of dedication coming out here in the hot sun, the rain. They came out here every day in the summer on a Friday. It could have been somewhere else. They came here and played basketball and football. Unfortunately, this is the same recreation center where a tragedy occurred earlier this year, rocking the community and many of the kids that attended the camp. Unfortunately, it took the uh, tragic death of Kyrie to really get the ball moving. And once we got the ball moving, it was the kids showed up and they were just ready to play. And everybody was happy that we were doing something on a continual basis because it's, it's one thing to just do something once or twice. But to come out and deliver every Friday is, you know, was something, something special. Thanks to Officer Harris and Officer Bachman, along with coaches and other volunteers, it's also a place now of some amazing memories and bonding that happened during the summer of 2021. They saw this program through from start to finish, providing priceless lessons, not just in basketball, but in accountability, care, and consistency. You know, you just remember those relationships because in this profession, you don't get a lot of thank yous. And this is like the one time where you can get like a thank you, yo, thanks for having us. You know, people acknowledge how great this actually was. And we didn't have a uniform on the whole time. They got to see us as an individual instead of a police officer, even though we had officer shirts on. But it's different. Like, you don't really see the blue shirt, the black pants, the blue stripes, and the gun rig. Like, you just see a human being playing football and basketball. The skills and drills program finished up just in time for the kids to go back to school. The officers say there are plans in the works to continue to foster those relationships that were built. Once we get the logistics together, it'll turn into a league. On that league, one of the requirements is that they attend a mentorship class. So we'll be going to mentoring, and then uh, Officer Bachman and myself will probably be stopping in the schools to check on them. To hear more from this interview, you can go to kywnewsradio.com. If you know someone making a difference in your community, don't forget to let me know. I would love to highlight them as our next change maker. You can always tweet me at ARLE on air. That's A R L E E on air. That'll do it for this week's edition of Flashpoint. And I'll leave you with this quote from Dieter Uchtdorf. It is your reaction to adversity, not adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. For Sharon Day Howard, Antoinette Lee, and our producer, Ariane Fulcher, I'm Denise Nakano. Life's an adventure. Thanks for joining me on this journey. We'll catch you next week. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.